Who would you be if you didn't hide behind your shame? Where would you be if your inner judge didn't dictate your life? Hello, hello. We are here to break cycles, to open conversation into the taboo, and most of all, we are here to feel sexually liberated. Welcome to Your Body, Your Story. Hello, welcome to episode number 12 with my beautiful friend Summer. So in this episode, we talk a lot about spirituality and healing and some really, really amazing golden nuggets there. And Summer tells a little bit about her experience traveling to India and living there for a while um, and coming back and kind of, you know, having a little bit of culture shock on both ends. There's tons and tons of references to books and such. So take a peek in the notes at the bottom for the references that I will have there. I do apologize too, there are moments in the recording where the um, basement tenant that she kind of lives in the same house with um, or their kid is a little bit loud, so you might hear that a little bit. I will try to have that taken out as much as possible, but just so that you know. And yeah, then we kind of went into some conversation about relationships, sexuality, and of course all of that does come into spirituality and some of the work that Summer does. Um, but it is a really amazing episode. I had such an amazing time having this conversation with Summer, and I really hope that you enjoy. I'm also super fascinated by your story. We've talked about it a little bit in Wait, the past. Which one? <laughs> all of your lifetimes. The, the, whatever million lifetimes you've lived in this one. <laughs> oh, yeah. My first thoughts, and of course, I think it was before then, but like when you went to India, that mm. was like a changing or like a... Yeah. Um, I was 24 years old. Um and I had a desire to travel. And so I, my first degree is in business. And so uh, you kind of put yourself into a traveling raffle. And I put in all the places I want to go. And India wasn't one of them. <laughs> but I decided to go. It was an adventure. My dad did not want me to go. So I, I went, spent my 24th birthday in India in monsoon season in June. And I lived with an Indian family, and it uh, definitely shatters my concept of reality when you come from a fairly wealthy family in the Western world and live in India. Um, and life didn't make sense to me much after that, especially since I came from, um, you know, a fairly wealthy background where I wouldn't say that I observed that people were super happy. And when I was in India, how little people had, yet they shared so much and they seemed a lot happier. <laughs> um, so while I was in India, I really, um, well, first of all, women weren't allowed out past six o'clock PM hmm. and I was white. So <laughs> not that I should be racist, but I was the only one of my color, um, in Southern India, Kerala, um, 
30 years ago. So I stood out like a sore thumb. Uh, and I, I remember once getting on a bus. And of course, at that time, the women sat at the front and the men sat at the back. And I went and sat down in a seat and there was a seat beside me. And uh, a little girl just skipped along, came and sat beside me. And then she looked over and she screamed. I jumped up out of the seat because she'd never seen anyone that looked like me and I was probably looked very ghostly. Um, and so I was very different um, there. So I knew what it like to feel like a minority. Um, and the culture, there's definite tear gaps. Uh, we had a um, the lowest caste shish pal would wander around and bring people coffee and ring bells and I wasn't allowed to <clears throat> pour coffee for myself. So it was super interesting. I had, um, we had a servant who hit my clothes over a rock to clean them. We had rats that went through the garbage pile <laughs> beside my bedroom window. Um, we had the temple elephant come and visit. It was just so very different. Um, and I kind of, as stressful as it was, I wish that upon everybody to have their, their perceptual reality shift. Um, because I think when we grow up, particularly in the Western world, that we have an idea of who we think we are or should be. Um, I see many people who work a lot because they think they should. And sometimes now in this economic um, <clears throat> situation we find ourselves in, that uh, we become slaves to a certain reality. Mm -hmm. um, and there's a lot of spiritual things out there. They talk about the law of manifestation and attraction and all of those things. Yet so many people are um, living an isolated life. Um, and I think there's a real big longing for community. And I certainly saw that more in India, um, even though at the time they longed for more of what the West had. And Mother Teresa has a really amazing quote, speaking of someone who comes from India, and she says that the poverty of the West is, is different from the poverty of the East, and that the poverty of East is uh, the need for bread, the need for food. But in the Western world, it's a longing for love. It's a longing for connection. It's a longing for God. And I definitely believe that to be true. Mm. Um. I believe much of our sickness, our illness, our dis dis-ease, our relationships, the toxicity of it all just comes down to, um, yeah, a really big um, perceptual reality <laughs> shift that I think we're all making anyway. Mm -hmm. But we can become more conscious so we don't get to go through too much suffering um, as we get birthed through this uh, worldwide awakening or what some people might call a healing crisis that I see. It's actually a good thing if I were to judge what it is. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's kind of my story. Uh, when I was in India, I, I was like, wow, my life doesn't make sense. This does not make sense. So I went into what they might call a midlife crisis at the age of 24, because that's it was similar. I just couldn't relate to anybody. I didn't know what the heck was going on. Um, had a streptococcal blood infection on the way home and I uh, had boils that erupted. And most people think of physical symptoms as physical symptoms. Um, 
but they're the surface of an energetic reality that we belong to. And so as I came home and was thrust into this cultural conflict with a streptococcal blood infection, I started being able to slip between the energetic and physical realms in a way and really start to understand how the energetic reality affects who we are and that we have connection to it, that we can talk to it. I call it our soul language. People call it empathy or um, clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience. Um, there's a lot of uh, clairs out there. Um, and we think of it as the sixth sense. Uh, but really all our senses, the external word ones, are reflected internally. And somehow we have been separated from that by government, by education, by religion in a way that tells us that it's we aren't supposed to have a direct connection to what source tells us. But in my experience, nothing can be further from the truth. So to make a long story short, when I came home with a streptococcal blood infection from India when my parents were getting divorced and I had this cultural um, shock running through me, it revealed a lot to me as I was quiet with myself, as I did some art therapeutic with pieces with myself, as I started to dip into my dream world without judging it, without panicking, without thinking it should be any other way than it is. So the infectious disease specialist, of course, told me I should keep taking antibiotics for the rest of my life. And then one day, um, I just, I opened a book and this is how signs come to us. They come to us in so many ways. Our soul speaks through, you know, people see numbers these days and all sorts of things. But I, I opened a book to a page and it just said boils are like, um, well, actually it was a, it was a story of a character in a, in a picture. And he said that his anger was like a boil that just erupts through the surface. And something about that set off this inner resonant truth in my body that I, just, I was just like, that's it? Oh. And I just felt this truth and I refused antibiotics and I just never had them again. And I, I know and believe as people are able to accept the truth of what their life experience is without the judgment of what they think it should be, healing can be spontaneous. I've seen it. Anita Mojani, who wrote the book, Dying to Be Me, she woke up in the hospital without cancer when she was unconscious. Einstein says energy can't be created or destroyed, only transformed. So it's about adapting universal law to our body conduit. It's this conduit of energy that comes in the form of physical symptoms, sounds, energy, emotions, but we really don't know how to use it. We talk about all this technology and, you know, there's a lot of amazing um, technology out there, Tesla and so many healing devices, but our body is the most divine piece of technology there is on the planet. And we can use all of these other things as tools, but if we don't know how our own body conduit works, we become reliant and disempowered on all of these things and we reset our patterns over and over and over again. So... My message is just really, you know, you'll save a lot of money, <laughs> have a lot less symptoms if you start being aware of how your body conduit is and you start relating what Einstein says, that energy can't be created or destroyed, only transformed, and it's always doing it through your body conduit, um, you will then know how alchemy truly works. And alchemy, what it really is, is the instantaneous shifting of emotional 
mental and physical states. It's not that, oh, I'm taking lead and turning it into gold, not the metal states, but the mental states, um, taking the heaviness of, of grief and shame and blame and judgment and resentment. Those are heavy mental states and changing them to the purity of, that's why they say people have a heart of pure gold, is that everything um, is of, can be transformed into peace, not by forcing, fixing, or fighting it, but by truly listening to the lesson that the universe gives us to return to the source from which I believe we came. So I've been rambling on Haley <laughs> for a while. <laughs> and I can get more concrete with my story because I see transformations happen every day. Mm -hmm. um, but I believe that self-healing is where we're going. We can go to uh, have readings. We can go to medical intuitives. We can do a lot of things. And mostly they still, a lot of healers still focus on a physical. Some do energetic work. But we need to be able to bridge those two things. Yeah. And I still see that there's quite a split between the two. Um, and that's where I believe that the energy or our soul language, with, which Jean Octoberg describes as a priori, she wrote the book Shamanism in Modern Medicine, um, talks about an a priori, meaning the first language that we had when we we're born. So it's a language that speaks to the deep universal um, meaning and purpose of mankind. She calls it preverbal and a priori. I call it the soul's language. It is that part of us that connects to uh, the universal collective, the matrix, divine law, love, all of those things. It runs through our body through DNA, deoxyribonucleic acid, which actually means rabbi, means rabbi, it means God. Nucleic acid means fire at the center of your soul. So we're, we're encoded. So that's DNA. M, uh, MDMA, MBMA, what is that? <laughs> MDNA, I had, we've heard that in the last three years. It actually means messages. The M stands for messages. So um, they're messages or messengers, and I believe they come as coded messages. Mm -hmm. Coded in the fact that it doesn't speak English. It's not really coded. It speaks to metaphors. It speaks to the mirrors of what we're experiencing. And so the more that we learn it, the more we get in, in, in engrossed in it and observe others. And this is why I have my Soul Truth Discovery Academy. Um, we can watch as the world changes, as our perception changes, and that the universe in a very experiential, embodied way really does have our best interest in mind, that we are a part of the life-serving energy that motivates and sustains everything else, and that we're interconnectly connected. Um, one of my favorite books is Quantum Theology by Diarmuid Omorku, and he talks about, and theology is theos, which means God, and ology means the study or the word. So it's about understanding the word or the language of God. So we have soul language that we can start to listen through our body conduit. And that sounds very um, esoteric maybe, but where that starts to be integrated with what I'm speaking right now, which is English, is through our emotions, through our needs, through um, the work that I've tied in through Marshall Rosenberg. And he's one of, I would say, 
a, a thought leader of our time, a PhD in psychology who decided one day he was done being paid to judge people. Um, and one of his most favorite quotes is that any labeled diagnosis or, or judgment is a tragic suicidal expression of what's alive in us. Mm -hmm. So I really truly believe that when, when we're in a state of dis-ease, what we might label or diagnose as uh, cancer or fibromyalgia or migraine headaches, that there's actually nothing wrong. It is the energy of life itself expressing itself. Um, and it's an experience we're having. But like Einstein says, energy can't be created or destroyed, yet we're busy trying to create and destroy energy all the time. We're trying to numb it through uh, drugs. We're trying to outthink it through positive thinking um, or affirmations. And they're not a terrible thing. It's only when we're trying to think our way out of our feeling that it becomes a problem. Uh, and my partner, Andre, said something very wise recently. He said, there's a difference between negative feelings and negative thinking. We can adjust our negative thinking through positive thinking, but if we're feeling something, we can't think it away. <laughs> so we need to go into the energetic reality, uh, which you can't find through thought itself. It's about knowing how the body conduit works, which means that energy will transform if you observe it. If you play with it, if you're open to it, if you communicate with it without trying to tell the God or the universe what to do. So, so many people pray or they meditate and it's what they might call closed meditation or closed prayer because they're telling God or the universe what to do. Oh, please heal me from cancer. Oh, could you do this? Could you do this? Could you do this? Well, they're not open to hearing a whole other possibility. They're trying to tell the universe or God what to do. It's the same with meditation. Um, a lot of us are taught to um, follow a breath, a mantra. Uh, we get guided or given imagery, which isn't bad in itself, only it gives you only one possible outcome. Oh, we're going to go on a shamanic journey and discover our sacred animal or our spirit animal. Oh, we're going to go to your sacred healing place. But what if your body conduit needs something else? And I'm not saying those things aren't totally worthwhile, but open-ended uh, prayer or meditation is where spontaneous insight comes through. It's where I appreciate Anita Morjani's quote where she says that divine messages will come to you in the form that is most familiar to you. So it's about trusting that each and every one of us is an authentic divine being with a purpose here. Even that if it's to simply be who we are as we interact with the thread or the energetic field of every other single person that we get put in front of. And it's such a, a divine nature to have relationships as spiritual practices or assignments that teach us who we are. And sometimes it's a little bit painful <laughs> or we have a lot of resistance. <laughs> A lot. <laughs> yeah, a lot. Yeah. <laughs> right? And mostly it comes with, you know, often parents, partners that we get attracted to. And then in the end, well, we decide we don't like them. It's more that we don't like what we're seeing in ourselves when we're interacting with them. <laughs> 
but it is the most amazing gift to be able to understand what your body conduit tells you and your emotions and your triggers, which I prefer to call mirrors. And when you start making that your practice, the world becomes a magical field to play in. You just brought me a little aha moment. Oh, yeah. (laughs) That I haven't, like, I've thought of this in other scenarios, Mm. but in this specific scenario, I haven't thought of it this way where you said, I don't know exactly what you said, something about like resistance to your relationships or you decide you don't like them because what you actually don't like is how you are in that moment or in that situation. And it makes me think of my triggers when Tanner has had some like alcoholic beverages, (sighs) which there's nothing wrong with that, but I go into a state of fight or flight Mm -hmm. and complete unsafe environment, even though there's nothing unsafe about it at all. But then it's, it's me thinking that him having alcohol at all is a problem instead of looking at what I actually don't like is how I'm feeling mm-hmm. in that moment. And it has nothing to do with him, which I have, I've tried to like, I've tried to, um, I don't know, like battle with that a little bit. And like, I understand fully that my reaction is more the problem than him having one or two drinks at all, because that shouldn't be a problem. And yet for me, I go into this complete feeling almost uncontrollable state where I just don't feel like I can find comfort and safety. Yeah. But it's, yeah, it's figuring out that reaction instead of telling him he needs to stop mm-hmm. or telling him that he has a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because I don't like how I am in that moment, but I'm telling myself that I don't like how he's acting. <laughs> yeah. Yep. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Got to unpack that a little bit in the following <laughs> days. <laughs> yeah, it's it's amazing, right? Um, I mean, I had the same thing. Uh, for me, my triggers. Um, my mom had a baby when I was before I was born, so she had my my sister that I've never met when she was nineteen. And this is where you know we talked about secrets earlier, family secrets. Eh. It's in the field. People can feel it even if you're not, if you're hiding it. Yeah, you can feel secrets, especially yourself. Yeah. If you're holding on to things or like there are some things that I hold on to that I don't think are even important, but I think of it as something that I hide. Mm, yeah. That it feels icky and it literally feels like, I don't know, like pieces of mud that are like stuck onto me that I need to try to shake off. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, secrets are some very insidious, um, painful things that really disrupt the energy from moving <laughs> to to pure source to to how we can interact with people, and it doesn't matter who we're interacting with, could be our boss or whatever. It it messes with who we can become. Yeah, um, and it becomes about how to really, really sit in the energy. You know, it's so uncomfortable, right? Because you do, you feel like you're completely unsafe. It's tumultuous. Uh, I know for me, my mom wasn't available for me when I was born. I realized because she went to a nursing, uh, what they call an unwed home for unwed mothers uh, with, of course, all the nuns and all the shame and crap that goes with that. And her neighbors and her friends were all told that she was going to nursing school. So the heaviness and shame that comes with that, uh, I carried as an infant. And I knew 
I always say to people, you know, when someone's being been in a womb before you have or a room, there's there's, there's smell, you know, if they've left pieces of clothing behind, whatever, you know that they've been there. And so all my life I was taught or wished I had a sister. And so some intuitive part of me knew I had one. Mm. But it wasn't until I was 36 years old that I was told I did have a sister by my husband. <laughs> because my dad told him. No one told me. Insane. But I know and I have lots of clients where these things these kind of secrets, people keep them because they think it's better for people. And it's just, mm -hmm. it's because the people are uncomfortable telling others <clears throat> because yep. it will hurt them or something. Um, so we'll rewind quickly. Uh, I had my daughter and of course I, I wanted to be close because I didn't like this feeling of disconnection from my family members. But as patterns repeat themselves, uh, I was probably more a little too much in her life. Um, and so when she became to be a teenager, which is now, she was very much, I want to be independent, like all teenagers want to be. But I took it personally. Yeah. <laughs> um, and what it did in, in the depths of my spirit and my being was really taught me that no how matter painful is, no matter how much I want to crawl out of my skin and my body, that as I allow and really trust that there's a profound sense of intimate belonging to a sense of source itself, to the universe and to the power that we embody. And all of these, I believe these triggers teach us in our own ways how to become, uh, well, Jedi masters. And I always think of and for some of you that are outdated, because Star Wars is is a bit outdated now, but we do have new <laughs> some ones. We're gonna hate that. <laughs> <laughs> there's new Star Wars and there's new ones. Uh, but way back when, when when Luke was uh, shooting down the Death Star, and I don't remember which Star Wars that is, but I remember this picture. He had the big electronical device, kind of like optometrists have, and they put the lenses in front of your face, and he was in his. I forget what the name of their starfighters were. It's a starfighter. And you hear Obi-Wan Kenobi or Yoda's voice. Use the force, Luke. And he's wrestling with himself. No, no. I should use this thing or this thing or I have to put this lens on. And eventually that moment happens where we remove or he removes the man-made mechanical devices and he shoots the Death Star, which to me just reminds me of all of our triggers, all the darkness, all the secrets within us, that when we come to a point of inner resonant truth, of quiet, of that space, of that hollow bone within us, that we can dissolve in an instant. And it is that way. It takes training, for lack of a better word, or more unlearning. Mm -hmm. We've unlearned, we've learned to be powerless. A lot of us claim victimhood. If we blame others, we're victims. Uh, if, if I'm in a puddle in a mess, feeling so disconnected from my daughter or from other people, and I'm just crying, I claim I can't do anything about it. And nothing's further from the truth. Um, I think part of the reason why I learned uh, and really embodied uh, nonviolent communication with Marcia Rosenberg and created our own, my partner and I created our own course called Connection Through Conscious Communication 
is because um, as of today, this has come full circle um, and uh, I'm probably never closer than I would have been to both my ex-husband and my daughter. And that's one of the universal laws of the Kabbalion is, is the law of the pendulum swing. Uh, when things seem to be at their worst and there seems to be no way out, it shifts especially if you're able to maintain a sense of neutrality and trust. And this is where, you know, a lot of people say, the spiritual teachers will say, you know, the universe is working for it, you know, it, it's happening for you, not to you, but who really believes that, right? If we're in a triggered state and we're always blaming, we don't really believe that. But when you can start to settle into that belief and you know it's true, people don't, they're less and less triggered. Mm-hmm they then know what lesson they're being taught. It's surrender. It's surrender. That's something that comes through my head all the time in so many situations yeah. is just surrendering, whether it's surrendering to fear, surrendering to sensuality, surrendering to whatever. Mm -hmm. Surrender, I think, is something that is the hardest and best and also easiest thing you can do in like any situation. Yeah. It's such an oxymoron. And that's not to say that you don't do what you need to do in any case. It's that you don't do something out of habit <laughs> or desperation. Yeah. Or from a triggered state of mind. Mm -hmm. You do it from a, a place of knowing, a place of peace, a pace of service. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I want to kind of tie this in a little bit to mm. like relationship. And I'm I'm curious about the reflection and also the major differences in your previous relationship with your husband and now with Andre and how there's been shifts and yeah. What are some lessons that came from that? Oh, wow. <clears throat> well, in my past relationships, and I think it goes back to secrets, you know, the things we don't want to say, mm -hmm. the things we hide about ourselves that we don't think anyone can love about us. Um, and I think, you know, in our past society, it would seem to be true. Um, and a lot of us think, well, I shouldn't have to tell people these things. They should just know. Right. I'm sorry. <laughs> if you don't know your own feelings and needs and can't articulate them to yourself, why do you expect someone else to be able to do it for you? So um, <clears throat> um, I've been gifted. Um, my uh, ex-husband actually just had recently had a stroke. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Um, and although I hadn't spoken to him in about a year and he and my daughter were, um, it was a very interesting experience. I felt very isolated and separated and couldn't make sense of it until I did surrender to the universe <clears throat> completely. I'm like, okay, I know you have my best interests in mind and everyone else's. He had a stroke. Guess who the first person he called to help out or one of besides his daughter? It was me. and. You know, I could have been very angry for the time that we were separated, and I was just so grateful. And I think because I went with a, an attitude of gratitude um, and amazement at the way that the universe works, he actually told me the other day as he put his hand on his heart that despite everything, he was so grateful that I was showing up for him the way that I was. And so as healing works, it doesn't even matter how much time goes past where people struggle or um, once you surrender, 
it's like it never happened because in the universal point of view, there's no such thing as time. Yeah. Energy is energy. If that energy is gone, it's gone. And you can think in your mind, well, it was two years. It was 10 years. I, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, so back to your original question, um, the difference, and now it's coming full circle because I can now, um, connect to my ex-husband in a way I hadn't when we were married is people taking <laughs> responsibility. And I don't like responsibility, but in the way that they're being response able, you know, so maybe in your triggers, you're able to say, okay, I feel intense anxiety, uh, when you, um, have a beer because I'm, I'm really needing uh, trust and connection. And sometimes it's amazing when we just know what we need. It's like, oh, it doesn't bother me anymore. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Or of course, as you might know, little Haley is in there just needing a bit of acknowledgement. I know you're feeling terrified right now. Yeah. And asking for and giving her whatever she needs. Right. Or asking Tanner for that instead of asking him to stop drinking or not to have beer, asking him for what is really needed, which is, you know, a hug, a warmth, something, whatever that might be. Mm. And so my new partner, uh, Andre, um, and I, I've just been gifted because of how painful that separation was for me because I've always felt um, isolated and alone and disconnected um, as it goes with a relationship with my mother. So I've tried to hang on to other people. I, I didn't want to be separated. <laughs> and it was controlling. Mm. Um, but um, as these patterns play out, so um, comes down to attachment styles sometimes. That's a simple way to talk about it. I tend to be the uh, anxious attachment person. And Andre is or was uh, avoidant. So, that's what I am. Yeah, you're avoidant. Actually, I think yeah. that's me and Tanner. I think Tanner's anxious attachment and I'm avoidant. Right. Okay, well, I'll give you some insights into that today. <laughs> yes. Okay. Thank you so much for being here so far. We're just taking a pause to let whatever was said sink in, to let anything integrate that you need, and just to take a moment to check in with yourself and your body. So we're going to do a little bit of breathing here. If you are able to, I would love you to close your eyes. If you need to take a seat, you can take a seat. If you're walking or driving or unable to close your eyes, I just ask that you soften your gaze a little bit. So we'll start with closing our eyes down, taking a nice inhale through your nose and exhale out your mouth. And with a sigh, if you feel comfortable with that, feel your body melt down. And on your next inhale back up, I want you to think about the top of your head moving down, melting through your face, your eyebrows releasing, feeling like your eyebrows are melting down into your eyelids, your eyelids are melting down into your cheeks, your cheeks are melting down into your jawline and your jaw is melting down towards your shoulders. Release the tongue from the top of your mouth. Make sure that you're not clenching your teeth or anything like that. And just notice if there's anywhere in your body where you're holding tension, 
and breathe into that place. See if you can release some of that tension. You can give a little wiggle. You can move if you need to, but see if you can release a little bit of the tension you're holding. And throughout the day, if you have the opportunity, I do recommend you try to do this multiple times. It will help a lot. But that is it for our little pause today. We'll get right back to it. <laughs> Maybe before we actually go into that, can we yeah. just um, dive into what those are? Oh, anxious and avoidant? Yeah. There's like- a few others too. There's disorganized, but the main ones are, uh, I would say, anxious and avoidant. Um Avoidant just means, you know, if there's conflict or anything in the field, any kind of secrets, people avoid. They don't say anything. They pretend it isn't there. They put it under the carpet. Um, there's water boiling on the on the stove and they're like, okay, uh, I don't want to look at it. I'm going to pretend it's not boiling over there. <laughs> uh, and it tends to ju- uh, drive the anxious or the controlling partners insane. Um, and it brings up all sorts of, uh, disconnection and anxiety. So, uh, the anxious one, um, because my mother was unavailable emotionally when I was born and literally actually physically couldn't take care of me. She just felt I was too much. I was given to others to care for. Um, but as I would cry, and this is where I would say to people, if anyone says, you know, let babies cry it out, don't do that. No. <laughs> Don't do that. Uh, When your only language is to cry or to reach out or energetically ask for something and no one responds, you feel like you're not, you don't exist. You feel like you're dead. You Mm -hmm. feel like there's no point to your existence. Um, And so there's this anxious, desperate feeling to be connected to something. Um, And it can be excruciatingly painful if you're reliving feelings of an infant that literally uh, depends on people for their survival. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it doesn't necessarily mean you're left by a tree in the middle of Africa without food. It can just be this emotional vacuum that exists um, because we're, we're mirrors. So Daimler Domruku in that quantum theology, he says, we are participants in a mutually defining and communicating universe of meaning. And so if we don't have anyone to mirror from or mutually define or communicate that meaning, it's like we're in a void of nothingness, of meaninglessness. Uh, and in our human form, we long for that. We long for warmth, connection, belonging, communication, this mutual um, defining of who we are in space. So that's a long way to say that anxious people feel an absence of, of, of God, of connection um, when there's triggers or things that go on. The avoidant has always and often felt overbearingly suffocated <laughs> or um, uh, people... Um, needing, and I know Haley, you've told me about your dad. Um, people trying to emotionally regulate themselves sometimes, um, adults or parents who are still a child and then are trying to reach to their child to fill their emotional voids, mm-hmm. and it feels overwhelming and yeah. way too much. Yeah, so it's like, oh my god, please get away from me. I'm repulsed. Yeah, because it's not something that we should be expected to um, have to 
do is regulate someone else's nervous system in that way. Um, so this is the beauty um, of when we have relationships. We can then go, okay, I'm feeling anxious, I'm feeling avoidant. And what ends up happening is when the person can regulate their own nervous system, people start coming back together. So uh, in any connection, when we're connected and feeling close to someone, we're connected. And there's always conflict or discrepancies or misunderstandings that will then disconnect us. And it's a matter of how fast we can then reconnect. Um, and Jason Gaddis has a book called Getting to Zero, which he talks about that, which is pretty amazing. Um, so through the gift of my ex-husband and my daughter, I really learned to um, create a hollow bone in a way where I know what anyone's responses is has nothing to do with me. I don't take it personally. Mm. And I no longer believe that I need to continue suffering because I'm either as, as worthless or as ingrandized and so self-important to believe that it has so much to do with me. You know, something that I've heard people say before that just also popped into my head is sometimes when you've created such a strong bond, like with your child or like you with your daughter, you've then created that safety for her to go off on her own, mm -hmm. right? And so in that way, she's like, oh my gosh, I've gotten all the love and care that I need and I feel safe and comfortable to go off and just be my own person because I'm secure in myself because my mom taught me to be that. Mm -hmm. Instead of, and then you of course took that instead as like, oh my gosh, look at how amazing she's doing going off on her own. You took that as pain and she's leaving me in abandonment. Um, I mean, She's with her dad. Um, and I do believe that uh, I, I was anxiously attached and she was avoidant. But it doesn't mm. matter when we start to create secure attachment. It's, it's about um, every single moment being able to initiate, respond, validate, hear, be heard. Um, and it's built over time in these small uh, moments. Um, and that's where I'm learning and to switch from being very, um, anxious. And that's where the trust piece comes in again, the patience, consistency and patience over time creates discipline. And so many of us try to keep discipline by trying to do things over and over again in a forced way. Right. Whereas it's, it's more about meeting our body despite the discomfort and the conduit that it is and the energy of our triggered moments. And really sitting down and figuring out what the hell am I feeling and what is it that I really need? And it's a skill. It sounds so simple, but most of us don't have those skills. Mm -hmm. um, and that's one thing that Andre is getting more and more proficient at. Um, I've learned so much from him. Um, you know, we call his avoider the runaway chicken. <laughs> <laughs> we have fun with it. <laughs> Um, yeah, we thought if we dressed up for Halloween, I would be the controller with my little stop sign. You know, those, when you had children's crossroads and you had those vests yeah. and the stop sign, um, and he would be the chicken on the road crossing <clears throat> and I'd be like, stop right there. <laughs> but, um, he's learning to come back and the less and less I'm anxious, the less and less he's avoidant. That's true. That's something that I notice all the time is, um, it's hard to put it into words, but I guess when Tanner does have some drinks, that's when he becomes more attached. Mm. That's when he wants my attention more. Oh. And then because that triggers me, 
and I feel overwhelmed. And I think that's, I don't like, I don't, I think that my response is from the same thing when my dad would do it. Right. Yeah. But he comes to me and wants connection and closeness. And I go, oh my God, no. And it's the little girl in me that's like, my dad would take me and be crying. And I would be sitting there like, what the heck am I supposed to be doing with this grown man crying? And I'm, I don't know, I feel like I was like five or six, five to 10 in those ranges. And it happened all the time. Yeah. That then when Tanner comes to me and wants connection, I need to run. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then the more that I start to notice that or the more that I then allow myself and I tell myself I'm safe and I can go and give him the connection that he needs, then it's better for him too because then he's less anxious and needing the attachment. Yeah. But at the same time, then he doesn't, I don't know if he always notices the other way around. Yeah. And this is the thing too, when we're in relationship, one of us starts to, um, usually one of us is less triggered than the other. Right. And people don't realize that what they're doing in relationship is beginning to learn how to co-regulate. Yep. So we have our individual nervous systems. When we get into an intimate relationship, we are either regulating or dysregulating each other's nervous systems. And sometimes <laughs> both. One hour you're, you're regulating and the next hour you're dysregulating. <laughs> yeah. And this day and age where we're all waking up, it seems to be like, oh, we're regulated. Oh, no, we're not. Oh, yes, we are. Oh, no. Oh, my God. What's going on here? I find it really hard, too, to be aware of it. Of like when you're hyper aware of the dysregulation. Oh. Uh -huh. Like I, I think that I usually am like, oh, shit, we're off the track. Uh-huh. And then it's like, how do we get it pulled back on? And sometimes, right. sometimes it does feel one-sided. Mm -hmm. But that's what I find as hard as being so hyper aware because I'm also hyper vigilant. Mm -hmm. So the second something goes off, I'm like, oh shit. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's and not knowing how to, and I want to force it back together. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just get back to normal. Yeah. Again, it's it's very much feelings and needs. You know? Yeah. We gave you the. I know you took our class connection class and it's Marshall Rosenberg's stuff, um, sitting down and picking out words. And some people can't. I mean, if we're so dysregulated, we're trauma at a 10, then it's more about the energetic pieces of some other work. But um, <clears throat> if we can identify what we're feeling and what we're needing, and most people, when they start our class, they're like, oh my God, I have no idea what these words mean. I didn't know I had needs. I don't know how to communicate needs, which probably important for your listeners to know that needs are not needy, dependent, or selfish things. They are. Yes. <laughs> As Marshall. More than just food, shelter, and water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Marshall's uh, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Those are really at the bottom there. But um, needs are words that describe the life-serving energy that motivates and sustains us. And I just thought Marshall Rosenberg was so clever because the life-serving energy that motivates and sustains us is source energy. What is it? It's God. It's Allah. It's creator. It's the universe. But nobody tends to get triggered by saying life-serving energy that motivates and sustains you. So um, we're all learning how to recognize God in each other, really. Um, and so as as... Tanner so greatly gets to trigger you and vice versa. You get to see this mirror of God in each other and how you can return to a state of, of, of knowing as you breathe into that absolute panic of being smothered that nothing can ever actually smother you, ever. And no matter 
the torrents of grief or loss that we always return to a state of grace and we can fight it and remain in a state of suffering if we want. (laughs) Totally up to us. Um, But I know we we were at an unstoppable event and Rose Backman was really, I loved one of the things she says, and she said that something along the lines of, um, I forgive myself for being so stubborn that I believe suffering that I will continue to suffer. Yep. Yeah. Oh, oh. yeah, that was so good. This <laughs> is bringing that all back. <laughs> yeah, right. Jeez, I'm just so stubborn that I'm just going to continue to suffer and, and tell other people they need to change for me. But it's no. not true. Yeah. And forgiveness is so powerful in all relationships and all situations. But also, like, I think it's so much easier to forgive others than it is to forgive ourselves or we often neglect the amount that we need to forgive ourselves uh yeah it's um the need to mourn or have remorse for you know the things that we've done is so important it is one of those needs to allow what is no longer to be no longer Mm -hmm. so that we can move forward but we're all often so caught up in the past of what we should or shouldn't didn't based on our judgments that we aren't moving forward because we haven't given ourselves grace um forgiveness in our culture is really this obligation should kind of thing oh we should be able to do this so um it's kind of i appreciate marshall rosenberg because he says you know what apology is part of our violent language because it it means that we believe we've done something wrong or we're blaming someone else. So Tanner having a drink, you've done something wrong. You're doing this to me. It is one of the most disempowering, disembodying things that we can ever do. Um, and it's such a funny thing and it may be too much to say, but forgive actually means it's the same. It comes from forego or forget, which means, and, the, and part of forgiveness, they always say forgive and forego or forgive and forget. Forgive and forget. What it actually means is, when we say forego, it means don't don't go or don't get what you need. Forfeit means not to get the money or to give up something. Forget means not to get, to forget about it. Someone's done you something wrong, but just forget about it. And to forgive actually means not to give. It's an interesting, weird twist. So this is where Actually, we want to be able to give and get. We want to receive the fullness of life and we want to be give full. We want to be able to give everything of ourselves. We don't want to forget. We want to give and get. We want that mutually defining and reciprocal communicating universe because it exists. Um, We've just disconnected ourselves. So I think Forgiveness, although the word is actually kind of backwards, what we really mean by that is to um, to surrender, to mm-hmm. let go, to be able to move forward in life without a sense of Release. continuing resentment yeah. and all of those negatively charged emotions that will move if we are no longer judging them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. Um, you said judging them. There was It just brought me to – there was a time when you and Andre had mentioned – that I wanted to kind of dive into a little bit that you had said that you guys have done like a, I don't know, a little thing together where you have told each other the things Mm. that you don't like about each other. And I've been, it's something that I've thought about over and over and over since I heard you say it, because it's not something that you hear people talk about at all. 
And I think quite often this comes down to secrets and hiding from each other as we tend to hide all the, like you, like we judge each other. We see each other, especially in relationship. You see everybody from good to bad, all those things. And you see things that are unspoken between yeah. you. And I think especially things that you don't like about your partner. And it's, I think it's impossible to find somebody that you like absolutely everything about them. That's not going to happen. There's always going to be things that are just going to bug you. And I'm curious about that, about that process of doing that and the process of also, I guess, just letting that happen too and being okay with knowing that there's things that your partner doesn't like about you because it's inevitable. Right. Um, cool. I think it actually comes from Terry Real. It's actually, he calls them, I think it's Terry, uh, CNIs, so core negative images. Yeah. And it, again, it's really more about us than anything else in a lot of ways. Um, so, you know, for example, my core negative image of Andre, and Andre's been bringing this up. He wants to go over it again. <laughs> Can't wait to hear more of them. Um, but for me, it was, you know, he is younger than me, but, you know, immature, mommy's little boy, uh, um, uh, the runaway chicken scaredy cat, those types of things. Um, also a stickler, like just so perfectionistic. Um, it's, it can be very uncomfortable to be around. And then for me, um, uh, controlling, uh, martyr. So just doing too much for others. Sacrificial is one of them. Um, and there's a few in there. We have them written down. I could have had them for you. <laughs> I guess it's more like I want to I want to understand how do you approach that with a partner if you want to do it and how do you have that conversation and how do you do it in a way that it doesn't turn into all of a sudden a big argument and triggering and being really mad about it right because I think it's it's really difficult to have the person that you love reflect you the things you don't like about yourself Oh, well, that's interesting that you just said that because you just said them reflect about what you don't like about yourself. So some of what they may say to you may not have anything to do with you. That's their reflection of you. But where you can take that in is go, oh, yeah, I see that to be true. And mm. it gives me guideposts then to to navigate myself in my world. If it's not true, it's actually more about them <laughs> than anything else. Um, and I, I say that if, if people are being triggered or they don't have a basic communication line, that they do that first mm, so that they right. can be response able. Having the foundation of communication. Yeah. Emotional regulation. Yeah. You don't want to just go into, okay, here's everything. Here, and, and I'll have to get it to you, but he does have a, it's in his book and podcast where he explains what core negative images are and what the purpose of it, because it's not meant to like point the finger and say stuff. Um, Oh, some more of mine, which are totally true, is that I'm disorganized. I'm more of an abstract, random, very flowy, time doesn't seem to make sense kind of person. And so for Andre, who's hyper-structured, I'm completely disorganized. <laughs> so I, it's true because in myself, I need to be more structured. And that's partly why Andre is so good for me because he is structured, but sometimes he's hyper-structured, yeah. which then limits him. So then if we find this middle ground, there's a very lovely synergy that happens. And so um, the, the point of it is, is, is really to take what you're learning because you can learn from that mirror 
what the universe wants you to become your biggest and best self. So you take what that person says, if it can help you um, get your needs met, if it can help you reach your goals, if your goals are in alignment with your authentic being, by the way. Um, and then it also becomes playful and fun. You know, like we called his avoider, I call him avoidant, the runaway chicken. He's like, and one of our latest triggers, and sometimes they get, you know, once you go into Jedi training, it seems to get worse and worse, or you are lifting heavier and heavy weights as you go along. Um, and I can't even remember what it was, but he left one day to go visit his parents. And I was feeling quite neutral about it in a lot of ways. But when he came back, I said, you know, my little runaway chicken went and went to get run over by the bus because he was feeling very despondent and he, 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 he left and was just feeling like he didn't want to be part of life much anymore. He was just all of a sudden in this very negative downward spiral. Anyways, it starts to become a different way of communicating where you have these fun nicknames for things that we can admit in, our, in ourselves are true. And it's not like we're blaming people or needing them to shift. It's just an awareness that allows us to navigate through life, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that's actually helpful or not. Um, but communication is key where people trust that they're, you know, they're, you're not telling them a core negative image because it's you and because they're blaming you. Uh, they recognize that part of the core negative image, it comes from them. It's how they see you. Not everyone will have the exact same. Yeah. That's bringing up a lot of other places that I feel like I want to go now. Like when you're doing something like that, you also have to have full trust that the other person has your best interest at heart. You, you have to be able to recognize that in your body conduit, if you're triggered at some point, that you don't push forward in that and you explore it. So, you know... If Andre says I'm controlling or disorganized or whatever, it doesn't bother me anymore. When I first found out I was a controller in the saboteur assessment that um, Shirzad Shamin has in his book, Positive Intelligence, I was uh, horrified. <laughs> I had no idea. I was unconscious um, and disappointed because that it really wasn't my intention hmm. to be controlling. Um, I, I thought I was helpful. And so, as I became more self-aware and take that information in and it helps me have positive relationships and I feel more confident and empowered and effective and competent in my life with others, I'm like, oh, it's so much better for me to know this information. Right. Yeah. So something that I was thinking of, this was, I was listening to the Teal Swan podcast on my way up here mm. and- we were, she talked a lot about patterns. These were a lot of things that were coming up. Oh, what did you just say that just triggered this idea? Hmm. <laughs> I think it was more like about awareness. So something that I've been thinking of is like Tanner sometimes goes into his downward spiral too. Similar, I think, to how kind of you say uh, Andre maybe does. Um, and wanting to have a conversation about, okay, I'm noticing this pattern and I don't think it's always important to know exactly where it came from, but I think it's sometimes important to understand when they get triggered because I do feel like there's often a trigger yeah, or there's a something. And so asking him, where in your past relationships have you maybe noticed or have you noticed that this has been a thing in, in all past relationships and how is it coming up now? 
what did your like previous partners do maybe that triggered it if you know and how am I perpetuating that same trigger and how can we work together to try to slow down the pattern or kind of put a wrench in it completely Mm. so the question is how do you observe patterns and interrupt them this is something that I was just thinking of having a conversation with him about it just something that you had said that triggered that thought in my head (laughs) right yeah I mean all triggers and all conflicts uh, originate somewhere else it's not usually about what's happening right in front of us ever because it's usually like childhood and ancestral yeah trauma yeah so it really goes back to being able to process those things which most of us don't have very many skills in doing yeah uh you know there is psychotherapy and things but often they just relive the story and don't go into the energetic quality to be able to a, release it, but also understand it. So we need to have that energetic experience, but also be able to translate that soul language or energetic experience into our English language so we can communicate in the mundane world of people because we're not telepathic yet. (laughs) (laughs) So we, we can see patterns. And as we slow down in our world and, um, Andre and I have a morning and evening routine where we, we check in with each other. How are you feeling? Uh, Shirzad Jameen has a wonderful three gifts technique. What's the universe teaching you today? The gift of knowledge, the gift of inspiration, and the gift of um, power. What am I learning? What is it inspiring me to do? And what power do I have? The power of empathy, the power of warmth, communication, whatever it is. Um, And then we always ask, well, what are we grateful for? Because we've been brought up somehow in the fight force of fixed paradigm. And we're always obsessing about what's wrong. Yeah. Yeah. I catch myself doing that a lot. Mm, And being in less gratitude and being more in what's wrong. What can I fix? Right. So sometimes it's super useful to go, okay, what am I really grateful for? What is the universe teaching me? And letting our partners know what it is the heck we appreciate about them. You know, like there's so many things uh, at first we're dating and that's all we tell people about. And then all of a sudden it swings, the pendulum swings and all we tell them is everything that's wrong with them. Well, there's always both. Right. At the beginning of a relationship and the honeymoon thing, we pretend there's nothing wrong and we, we actually were up on dopamine and all sorts of drugs. But um, <laughs> as we swing out of that, to be mindful of, we have core negative images, but also positive ones. Mm-hmm. And so how do we balance that and tell each other every single day? And we do not have, people have spiritual practices of prayer and meditation and yoga. They don't have a spiritual practice of coming to the partners and telling them what they appreciate about them or what they're grateful for. My gosh, why not? Yep. So we need to be having a practice where we check in about the day-to-day things, but also about how we're feeling and what we're needing. Oh, and I feel like that's so important. You could even add that into not even just with your partner, but with your friends and stuff too. I think that's, that could be really amazing. Yeah. So we have an evening and a, um, we just updated it because I had a coach, Brandon Broadwater, who had a great sense. And we added some of Marshall's questions. How are you feeling? What are you needing? What are you grateful for? What are you learning? How are you feeling? What are you needing? And what are you grateful for? Yeah. Yeah. What's out of alignment maybe? Oh, that feels very good. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And that simple act of checking in every day. And if you miss a day, no big deal. Um, it actually helps that person be in alignment with themselves so that those triggers then become less and less palpable or yeah 
they're able to understand how to navigate them better. Now, the key is, which is difficult for many people in going to the gym, is the consistency to do it. So people, oh, yeah, I'm going to go to the gym, and then they don't. Or I'm going to write this down, and they don't. Um, uh, and this is why, as partners, there's good accountability. Let's check in today. Let's do this today. And why it's so important in community, too. When we had communities, people are motivated to do things because they know others need them, too. Yes. That's why com communities are so valuable and why I believe our culture needs to shift in from these isolated states of living alone. It's just that we don't know how to live and communicate. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yep. Yeah. But checking in with each other, having a spirit, relationships are assignments and spiritual practices. It's just that we haven't created them. Once we do, they become the most powerful gifts for our own alignment, growth, and um, spiritual alignment. I think it's, uh, who is it? I'm forgetting who says this quote. It's on a podcast. I can tell you later, but he says that, you know, meditation, uh, any type of spiritual practice, it's nothing like being in a relationship. You can be a monk on a, on a mountain and you're going to find peace every single time. But the true gym, the true obstacle course, the place where you actually become a Jedi master is with those most difficult people in your life. Yep. That's the true spiritual training and this true practice. Totally. There's so many times that I've heard people say that you can do as much healing, trauma work, personal development, you can do all of it. And you get into a relationship and there's always going to be things coming up. There's always going to be new reflections. You can have as much, all the training as possible. And it's nothing like being in a relationship because your partner is always going to test you. You're always going to be pulling things out of each other that you didn't even realize were there. Yep. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. And people avoid it because then they're like, oh, well, it's toxic. It's whatever. It's no. Once we have a practice and we understand how to navigate it, it's one of the most enriching things that we could possibly embark on. Yeah. And I'm curious too, I guess, like now that you and Andre have done a lot of these diving deep into the depths of like, I would say like insecurity and stuff like that, how has that, I guess, increased or um, solidified even your more intimate relationship? Like, has that made it way better? Are we talking sex specifically yeah. or? <laughs> Your physically intimate part of your relationship, has that helped it? Um, we talk about that a lot. And yes, it does. Um, he's diving into, because he does men's work, into into the um, lover archetype, um, into semen retention, into all of those different things. And so, you know, we're exploring, okay, like what kind of fantasies, what kinds of things um, we're definitely um, monogamous. Uh, if people can't navigate one relationship with CNIs and other things, then having multiple energies is, is very tricky. I think maybe in a more advanced culture that might be possible, but in this one, you're, <laughs> uh, people need to be getting communication skills, yep. um, and acknowledging their own secrets before they create a a big emotional soup, especially when there's children involved as well. A big emotional soup. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's a soup that starts to taste really bad. 
Um, uh, so yeah, sexual intimacy. It's so interesting because I think in no other place are there more secrets. Yep. That's something I've been trying to work through a lot because having a fairly suppressed, I would say by myself though, suppressing my own sexuality and not feeling comfortable expressing wanting to move my body in certain ways or wanting to have certain things that we do. I have found it very, very hard to open up. So I very much hide and have those secrets, even though there's nothing that I'm actually scared of. I'm honestly just scared of even just being that blown wide open and showing those parts of myself. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. Um, there's actually a book. It's called Naked Relationships. Cool. Yeah, I've got it here. I should show it to you. Um, but I think it goes, once we peel back a few of the other layers, because without the communication of the other layers, it becomes harder to have that tantric um, relationship. Um, and tantric intimacy, by the way, is such a good book because I always thought tantric was this weird, you know, orgy thing. But one of the foundations of the book is what tantra really is. And it it expresses love as a tree um, because there's, um, and I'm going to forget the terms, eros, which is the, the sexual, but before that becomes... Um, two other forms of love. And one is the basis of all mankind where we are loving towards everyone. And most people can't do that. Whether it's the person on the street, the person we might judge as a murderer or a rapist or things that we find abhorrent in our culture, um, that we have a general acceptance and love of mankind. And then above that is usually the more intimate people that we have in family. And what builds into that is trust. And the thing is, when we have secrets, and it doesn't matter what kind, trust isn't fully there. Yep. And this goes back to the universe and knowing that the universe is there for you and is, is things are happening to you and not for you. Um, without trust, uh, eros or the sexual intimacy, um, you can have physical stuff, but it doesn't, and, and sometimes really great physical stuff, but it doesn't last very long. You know, one night stands, a couple weeks, whatever, and then you find, oh, I, I don't feel attracted anymore or I'm disgusted by this person. So the real long-term sexual intimacy comes when you share what goes on in your head. Um, I've heard many times over, you know, men are like, well, if I have to perform, I can't do it. And more and more my guy friends are like, if my heart's not connected, it doesn't work. Yep. And more and more are seeing this. And, and I think it's tragic. People are like, well, I'll just take Viagra. So they're trying to force the physical thing when their heart is, is disconnected. And again, it goes back to our, our body conduit. What are we noticing? And what are we thinking or judging in the moment with this? Oh, I've got, I, my stomach feels fat and it's rolly. I don't, you. Yep. Whatever. Yeah. So I think people will discover, and I, I've heard it in marriages over and over that, you know, sex wanes, it goes away, you know, people don't know how to communicate about that. And that's when. And it's something that I feel like it's just become this thing that you just don't talk about. Yeah. And we say it's normal, but it's not. No, no. It, well, it is kind of accepted in our culture. Normal. I don't know what normal really is, but yeah. um, <laughs> I'm not into the new normal. <clears throat> um. So yeah, uh, communication about those things that are most um, hidden. Feeling safe enough 
And this is where I believe that actually get being in a community, podcasts like you're doing here, allow people to feel at ease that it's not because so many people believe something's wrong with them. Exactly. Yes. And there's nothing wrong. It's just that we don't communicate so that we can see reflections of ourselves that, oh, this is actually functional. This is how I work. Um, so I think the disconnection actually comes from the lack of real education, of real understanding of who, who we are as a species um, and the distortion of our culture, our upbringing, our religion that creates so many weird things. So um, Andre's um, Asian. And I think, I, and I come from a, my mom's background uh, is English. And of course, the Scotch English don't often, you know, you have to wear your petticoats and be proper. <laughs> um, you know, we came from the church. All my relatives founded the church. And of course, we all know the sexual distortions of some churches. <laughs> And cults, uh, without the expression, it becomes hidden and we, we assault children or we do things that are empower balanced or um, against other people's um, personal consent. So it really goes back for me to uh, honesty, integrity, authenticity, feelings and needs. And in our needs, there is sex, but underneath sex is true intimacy that comes from trust and the understanding of who mankind is from the very basis, which means the removement of our judgment of what we think anything is. So it's kind of a bigger jackbox than <laughs> um, because sex is not separate from our culture and from the way that we communicate about everything. Um, so as Andre and I, going back to that, explore more and more of intimacy, we start talking more and more about, okay, Andre loves fantasies. And I'm like, okay, am I really comfortable with that? Okay, let's talk about that. How does that work? Why am I? Because I have a sense of shame. Hmm. I'm like, actually, if I were to think about it and, you know, uh, I think about fantasies. If I have dreams that I don't have any real conscious control over, they're not necessarily having sex with Andre. Right. In my in my mind, I've had sex with women, although I wouldn't say that I'm I'm bisexual necessarily. Um, one of the things I did learn um, when I did counseling work is that really, I mean, sexuality is so much about energy and it's on a continuum. Like we're not heterosexual or bisexual. It's kind of a continuum in there somewhere. Some people are likely more than the other. Um, but the taboos, like my mom never talked to me about sex and people are having it. <laughs> All the time. All right the now. time. Right now. Yeah, someone. In the someone. <laughs> um, so it's just so interesting. It's our whole culture's secretive because no one talks about it. Yeah. And there's, there's, I don't know what the exact quote is, but like what happens behind closed doors kind of thing, right? Oh. But it's like, it's nobody's business. Oh, I think it's everybody's business. Exactly. And I think it kind of should be. I think we should be sitting at a coffee shop talking about how our sex was last night, you know, and what worked and what didn't. Like, I don't think that there's anything wrong with that, but yet that's so terrifying. Well, it goes back to our own sense of uh, inadequacy, really. Right. Am I attractive? Am I not attractive? Do my parts work? What, you know, and um, again, being vulnerable in 
what we think we're not lovable for. Yeah. Um, yeah. And being able to ask for and, and transition, there's a lot of amazing stuff out there. Um, um, for sex, for men, for women in really learning what your expectations are. Mm. Um, I can't remember the book that Andre is just reading. It's pretty profound. Oh, it's the multi-orgasmic man. Um, and there's the hidden, uh, sexual power, uh, hidden power of female sexuality. It's a book I have. And, um, Andre is learning the difference between, um, orgasm and ejaculation. They're actually separate. Um, and what that means to build up that energy. And I know I've had a few partners and there was one partner I had where it was a full body orgasm. And I started having spontaneous orgasms for an entire day. And I was like, oh my God. And these things are possible. And I think that's another thing that if we don't talk about these things and realize that it's something that is also like it could potentially happen. Like it's crazy to me to even think that you know, most women, I think there's, I forget what all the numbers are, but at least 50% or higher don't orgasm. Yeah. Like at all. And if they're lucky, it's like once a year. Oh my. Yeah. For a <laughs> lot of women. Mm, mm -hmm. And there's ways where you can have multiple every single night. Yeah. Or all day long. Which yeah. Oh, that I, would be a crazy yeah. experience. I can't say <laughs> I, I, I have multiple orgasms, but that one time, yeah, I was just sitting in a chair and all of a sudden I'm having an orgasm from my, yeah. I was like, wow. It's never happened since. Um, but there's a degree of presence, you know, that's required. Um, and just like my inside out practice, when we go in and we open completely, um, and that's probably why people, you know, do alcohol, they do drugs because they don't know how to open their body conduit without it being in an altered state from some other kind of substance. Yeah. Um, which is really super, I don't know if the word dangerous is, uh, appropriate. Um, but I think a lot of people use these things unconsciously. Um, and yeah. also don't know how to then release the substance to get there themselves. Yeah. It becomes a like a dependency sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, are Andre and I uh, fluid in Tantra? No. Uh, are we working on what our beliefs are and what our sexual needs are? Absolutely. Um, yeah. Uh, part of, part of his thing is, you know, if, if, if I'm initiating, he feels pressure, which oh, is interesting, which is super interesting. Yeah. Um, and I think some, some men nowadays are like, well, you know, we've got to be nice guys. So they don't, um, initiate in aggressive ways. Um, so one of the things I just recently told Andre is like, you're a little too nice about it. <laughs> it's like, you know, a little rub on the back or whatever. I'm like, no, I'm okay. If you're a little more aggressive, like I want to know that you want me. Yep. So I give you full permission to like be aggressive about it. And then if I say no, then of course respect that. But, um, because I think in past relationships, he might've been like, well, I want sex. So give me sex. Um, and so he's like, he realized that that was not appropriate. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes we're swinging too far one way or another. Right. You know, we're being meek or. And if we're not talking about it, then it's this weird dance of 
awkwardness, not knowing what the person wants, how they want to be approached. Yeah, we things. can totally misinterpret. Again, it goes back to communication. Yeah, everything comes back to communication. It does. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, and we're always assuming and making rash judgments about things. And we're afraid to yep. ask. We're, it, it's we, We've been put into a state of fear. And of course, I really like that quote, uh, false expectations appearing real because fear brings about exactly what we don't want. And yep. so surrendering, letting go, feeling the fear, doing it anyway, um, doing experiments where we can change our perceptual reality before having to be thrust into some kind of life crisis is so valuable. Jedi training, being in community where people are doing it. So we can see that we are, I don't like the word normal, but we can see that uh, we belong that we're part of something far greater than we are mm -hmm. and that we're such an integral part of that thread in every way, including our sexual being. And that way, as we become more and more awake and aware, our children are not conceived and born in a way that is out of uh, uh, fear or constriction or, you know, they're just born through grace. That's awesome. I like that. <laughs> yeah. We have a little bit of work to do as a human species, but <laughs> but it's fun and it's happening faster and faster. Totally. Mm -hmm. Cool. Well, I think we're kind of at our time limit. Do you maybe want to talk about what you offer, how you help? Um, well, um, resources. Yes. Um, we have a lot of resources. Uh, at the Alchemical Wisdom Stool, it's courses at my at mindbodymedicinetherapy.com. Our communication classes there, uh, introduction to um, or the comprehensive introduction to self healing, which is about the alchemical processes of understanding your soul language, um, healing at a level that isn't about forced or fixed protocols. We start to embody universal law. So I do do individual sessions, 90-day programs for people. I do work with couples. Um, I usually have them take the communication class first. It's so imperative to have some foundation. Um, and it's life-changing. I mean, you took it, so you have an idea. I think we need to take it 10 more times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, it's a practice, right? It is. It's the practice. Um and yeah, we're we're going to start doing different levels so that right. those triggers, the CNIs, all of those pieces can be embodied. Um, you know, you go to the gym, you start with 10 pounds, then you do 15 and 20. And by the time that you're done, you're an Olympic champion and you start to embody. I just had a client's call today. She's like, you know, my daughter's asking me for help. And all of these people are coming up to me now because um, she used to, when people would tell her something, she was like, well, no, I didn't mean that. And she would talk over them. And now she's listening hmm. and she's noticing people are coming to her and she's being able to observe how people are struggling. Um, so as we shift ourselves, the world shifts around us because they can feel who we are and we become a light unto everyone else. Yep. And not that we have to force that. It's just a way of being. And so I teach people that all they have to do is trust and what their soul language is 
their energy and then how to communicate that. I have a YouTube channel that I'm attempting to Ooh. get off and running. Cool. It's the intuitive self-healing channel on YouTube. Um, there'll be a lot more videos on there soon about all of this type of stuff. Maybe we can have a little chat on there. Amazing. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Haley. So good.